0: That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. Ronald Acuna Jr. has made history as the only member of the 40-70 club. Francisco Lindor joins the 30-30 club, and Bryce Harper seems to be all the way back. This is our final regular season episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Obviously, we have an off-season schedule planned. We are going to start on October 13th, so a little bit of a break and then bi-weekly episodes from there on out until the regular season and spring training of course then we'll get into the more regular scheduled programs but For now, it's going to be bi-weekly starting October 13th. So if you want to listen to the off-season episodes of the podcast, which we'll go over some mock drafts and interview some of your favorite writers at Pitcher List, talk about all of the things getting ready for next season, maybe reflect on things that we did well or poorly this season, just all of that good stuff. So if you want to listen to all of that, start listening on October 13th. But we have an episode right here for you to recap the final week of fantasy baseball and I have some great news John I won my home league this season I am beyond ecstatic I'm so happy it's my second time winning this league I got to hoist the trophy yet again. If you want to see what that trophy looks like for anyone listening, you can check it out on my Twitter or X it's at Regisaitl. So go and check that out because the trophy is awesome. That's one really cool thing about our league, but I am so happy to have won that and I've done really well overall this season. John, how are you and how have you done for the entirety of this year?
1: Yeah, I uh, am officially fully checked out on fantasy baseball. Last week I said (laughs) I was getting close and this week I am completely checked out. Um, of course i'm also slightly checked on the regular season because the twins uh clinched the division last friday and so i'm just i'm literally waiting for playoffs to begin so uh it's nice to take maybe a a tiny little break uh from from the baseball madness but i'm gonna be right back into it uh starting next week but yeah in terms of fantasy performance uh i mean there's two uh pitcherless leagues that i'm in i finished fourth in one of them and then i think like ninth in another one so not great results but uh like you know we mentioned on the pod last week i finished second in my home league which was uh pretty awesome uh first time i've placed in that league in the top four so always always nice to see progress in that way and technically tgfbi is still happening uh i'm third in my league right now uh it doesn't really look like i'm gonna be moving you know anywhere uh Up or down really in in those standings but there's still chances to improve in the overall i'm 63rd right now uh in the overall and i'm hoping maybe someone's going to hit a bunch of home runs over the weekend and and get me to top 50 if possible
2: that would be really really nice yeah for me as an entirety for the season i believe i was in six leagues i did really poorly in a startup dynasty league that i joined and the funny thing about that is i literally drafted trying to win this season and Mm -hmm. i came in like 12th out of 14 (laughs) so (laughs) that doesn't make much sense so it was a newer format i haven't been in many dynasty leagues i was in one before but then it kind of collapsed so this was my first real startup dynasty league i took over a, a team in the other dynasty league so it's a different experience and i guess i played it a little poorly i have to adjust and get better at that format but for the other leagues In my NFBC Satellite League, I am floating between 3rd and 4th, so I might be able to squeeze out a 3rd place finish and cash in that, which would be excellent. TGFBI, I am currently 6th in my league and I think 190th overall, so pretty good. One of my better finishes in TGFBI, which isn't the greatest, but hey, I'll take any sort of improvement. Then obviously I won my home league, which I said before, and then in the other leagues that I'm in, just some Yahoo leagues that are for money or other NFBC leagues, I've cashed in both of them. So pretty good year for me. I'm very happy. The home league was the most important to me, obviously. So very excited about that. But overall, just a great fantasy season. And I think we had a really good fantasy season podcast wise. I mean, we got some of the numbers back and saw what we did. And we are just so thankful that all of you are listening and enjoy the show. So for anyone who is listening or or just enjoying it throughout every single week please send us an email make sure you tweet at us tell us that you won your league or how you did or things that you want us to improve on or do more of in the future because that's all we want to do is improve and get better for all of you so that you can have the most enjoyable listening experience and succeed in your fantasy leagues now before we get into the news and everything John, we have to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. We don't highlight him at all in the rest of the podcast, but I wanted to just take a quick moment to talk about how historic of a season this is. And we kind of did this last podcast, but he officially hit the 40-70 club this past week. And it's just so impressive. Like, we said this before, I don't really know of another fantasy season that was as strong as this one because this is something we really haven't seen before especially in our lifetimes because sure there's been other seasons where people had ridiculous stat lines and whatnot but for our generation this might be the best fantasy season that we've ever seen I mean 70 stolen bases and 40 home runs while having over 100 RBI over 100 runs and over 320 batting average I mean he's just done it all and it really needs to be stressed that this is one of the best seasons and fantasy seasons of all time. Like, he made his own club of 40 home runs and 70 stolen bases. I mean, what do you have to say about Acuna? I just think this is so impressive, and we just have to talk about it because it is the best fantasy season that I have ever seen.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually crazy what he did from a, from a fantasy perspective because, like, 70 stolen bases um, is a lot, for sure, right? But he coupled that with 40 homers, right? Like... There's definitely stolen base specialists, right, in, in the league. Um, I think, you know, the, who comes to mind include... Um, Estiuri Ruiz. Estiuri Ruiz, yeah, right? Like, he he actually... I think he's at, like, 63, 64. Stolen yeah, he's bases. in the mid-60s. Right. So, But the problem is he doesn't really offer anything else, right? Right. Acuna's doing this and also hitting 40 homers at the same time. So, uh, yeah, just his ability to help out in fantasy. I believe he's currently second. In the National League, in terms of average, um, right behind Luis Arise. Uh Obviously, the runs and RBIs are incredible for Acuna, like truly a five tool fantasy player. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, you know, other guys who are close, like Freddie Freeman's kind of in the conversation, Mookie Bez is in the conversation there, but Acuna's just blown them out of the water in pretty much every single metric. So um, yeah, just incredibly performance, incredible performance from him this season. And the, the crazy thing is he's still so young right he's only 25 years old he turns 26 in a couple months um he has a long long road ahead of him and if he can do 40 70 at this age uh like i'm very curious how his um his career is going to continue growing like i don't think he's going to necessarily match 70 stolen bases as he gets older that that's just obvious but the, the power output is also very impressive and uh, it's nice to see that he's basically fully back from the injuries that had sapped his his couple past seasons.
2: This definitely feels like a career year for Ronald Acuna Jr., of course, and we say that because, I mean, 40-70, that's going to be hard to replicate no matter what, but if there's anyone to be able to do that, It probably would be Acuna, especially because, like you said, he's so young. And I saw something on Twitter where I think the Braves' main five players, of which are Acuna, Albies, Riley, Olsen, and Murphy, are Mm -hmm. under team control for the next, like, five years together. So just thinking about that in a team context and in a fantasy context, you have to get one of those four at least, you know, disregard Sean Murphy for this point because his playing time is all over the place, but just those four guys, I believe Michael Harris is in the discussion for that as well, so maybe we'll just say those five guys, so Harris, Acuna, Albies, Riley, and Olsen, you have to prioritize getting one of those in your drafts, right, like, you need one of these guys to be on your team because the runs, RBI, stolen base, homer output from these guys... Is just astronomical. If they're going to be a core five players moving forward, I have to have at least one of them on my team.
1: Right, because if one player does well, they all kind of do well, right? Yeah.
2: Like
1: Matt since RBIs, he's batting in Acuna and Albies and things like that, right? So um you you even get just one of those guys, you get to it's almost like you get to see some production from the other players as well. Um and then not to mention, they also have uh, Spencer Strider, right? One of the best pitchers in the league on their team as well. So, yeah, that that Atlanta team is just uh, an embarrassment of riches.
2: Yeah, it's really, really scary what Atlanta's going to do for the NL East for the next five seasons at least. Like, I'm scared as a Mets fan because they are just a juggernaut. It's incredible. But the one thing I have to say before we move on with Acuna, so he stole his 70th base, and obviously mm-hmm. he— Already had 40 steals before he hit 40 home runs. And 70 stolen bases was like the milestone for steals after he hit his 40th homer. Right. He slid into second, stole the base. It was at home in Atlanta. And he basically took the bag out of the ground and held it above his head. And the crowd went wild. And then it was the 10th inning of a game that the Cubs are trying to make the postseason. So it was Cubs versus Braves. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is a moment that needs to be celebrated, right? Acuna, 40-70, never been done before. He deserves the applause and the celebration. And in that context, of course, it was the 10th inning of a very close game, of a game that had playoff implications for the Cubs. But he basically lifted up the bag, took it back, and then they played a little video montage on the Jumbotron to honor Ronald Acuna. And then they got back into gameplay. Do you see anything wrong with that at all? Because personally, my opinion... I see nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's only been a few people who have made the 40-40 club and Acuna did it the right way. He didn't hoist every bag above his head after 40 homers. He just did it for the 70th and rightfully so. That's a monumental bag stolen right there. So in my opinion, nothing wrong with that. If anybody's upset with it, that's just ridiculous. Obviously, the Cubs are trying to make the playoffs, but come on, man. It's something that's never been done before in baseball. Let him celebrate, right? Like, What's your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I I will say like doing this in the middle of a baseball game like baseball is like unique in the fact that there isn't like you know technically a a clock right I guess we do have a pitch clock nowadays right, um and you know there there's been exceptions this year made for you know like standing ovations and things like that, um which you know makes sense and I think this is kind of in the vein of, of that um that being said though context of course is like that's at you know like the beginning of an at bat where this is in the middle of an at bat um i don't necessarily fault him for for you know getting excited celebrating uh you know lifting up the base and all that but i probably would have maybe given like a delay of game penalty or something like that you know just like a uh an extra strike to the batter you know something like that just because in that situation it's still kind of in the middle of the game, but at at the end of the day though, you know, it it kind of falls in line with what MLB has done this season in terms of, you know, team celebrations and things like that. I mean, I totally get it why they didn't do anything. Um, But, you know, like you said, it's an important game. The Cubs are trying to figure out if if they can still stay alive in the playoff race. Um, 70 is obviously an awesome number. Um, You know, if they had maybe done it where, you know, after the inning's done, he comes out for a curtain call or something like that. That makes more sense to me. But yeah, I, I I don't really feel slighted either way. Baseball is baseball. We don't. There's no timer, so it's not like it's the biggest deal that they took a little extra time to celebrate.
2: Yeah, I agree with that, and I can see both sides of it. There was actually a really cool Twitter thread by Joe Two K and he basically gave a thread and video of every person to make the forty forty club and what happened. Basically, Ken Seiko set the precedent of lifting the bag and taking it, and mm-hmm. that happened at home, I believe, and then Barry Bonds did it on the road against a division rival, and the same thing happened, they delayed the game, they gave him a round of applause, he held the bag up, he took it, and then Soriano, A-Rod, same thing with those Mm -hmm. guys, so it's been a tradition, and obviously, like you said, it's in the middle of an at-bat, so that's a little bit more tough, but most of these happen in the middle of an at-bat as well, and I just think it needs to be celebrated more so often, I mean, it's something that you just don't see, it's one of the best seasons in the history of the game, so celebrate it I mean obviously sure if you're a bitter Cubs fan and it happened I see the gripe I get it I understand you're trying to make the playoffs but come on just acknowledge that this is a thing that just doesn't happen regularly and appreciate that it's just like celebrating Otani after he does anything because it's remarkable you have to it's Mm -hmm. something that's important for baseball but enough of that Acuna fantastic season we Are just in awe i am literally going to make a shirt that says i survived ronald acuna jr in fantasy baseball 2023 and wear it because i won my home league and i did not have ronald acuna jr so i technically survived his onslaught so (laughs) Very happy about that, but before we get into the rest of this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter or X, at This ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcast on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please Leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed listening to us for the entire season as we move into the off-season segments. So make sure you leave that five-star review. We'd appreciate it greatly. Now, moving on to the MLB news since our last podcast, we start with a bunch of Cardinals. Nolan Aranato of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday, September 22nd with lower back spasms. His 2023 season will come to an end, and as I mentioned in the last podcast, it seemed like he packed it in early anyways. Maybe it was due to back spasms, maybe it was due to the Cardinals being eliminated, but regardless, he just looked like he was giving 30%, and you never want to see that, so at least he gets to just rest the rest of the season. I actually have a funny story, John, about Nolan Aranato. I believe it was in 2019. Where the Rockies played the Mets, and I went to City Field. And Arenado is one of my favorite players, believe it or not. I had a bunch of his cards. I have a jersey that my friend got me from Coors Field that he actually went to and brought me back the jersey. I had him on my fantasy team for a while in my keeper league. So I loved Nolan Arenado. I just love the way he plays the game. I love his defense. I love the way he swings the bat. Just everything about Nolan I really like. So I wore my Arenado jersey. Don't worry, I had a Mets jersey in my backpack and switched to it for the actual game, but. As they were warming up, we got there early. I had my Arenado jersey on and I had a ball and I was like, Nolan, sign my ball. You know, I have your jersey. I turned around, showed him and he acknowledged me. He waved to me. He looked at me and he kind of gave me like a one second kind of gesture, you know, and then he went into the stands, took a picture with like a random group of people. I think they knew him or something or it was part of something because he just went in there and then he gave me the one second. He went into the dugout and never came back out. And <laughs> I understand that he was probably busy. He's getting ready for a game. I don't blame him at all, but he gave me the look. He waved to me and he gave me a one second gesture that I truly believe that he was coming back out and was going to sign my ball and he didn't. Granted, you know, I was what 25 years old at the time. He doesn't owe me anything. I'm just a grown adult that's a kid at heart. And I would have loved that autograph, but I was kind of slighted by that. So Nolan, you hurt me a little bit. If you ever happen to listen to this, I'd like an autograph ball because you kind of gave me that one second gesture and it's been, I don't know, five years. So (laughs) I'm still waiting. (laughs) Moving on to Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals. He missed two straight games due to back tightness, but was back in the lineup on Friday. Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, September 21st with tendinitis in his left wrist. That will end his 2023 season. Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, September 26th with a mild left MCL sprain. Even though the injury is considered minor, there's still a two- to four-week timetable for recovery, so it will end his 2023 season. He finishes with 38 home runs, 20 stolen bases, 90 runs, and 80 RBI. John, two home runs away from a 40-20 season. If the White Sox weren't so bad, this would be an incredible year for Luis Robert, but it kind of just got wasted.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned on, I think, this podcast as well as uh, the newsletter a little bit like Luis Robert like because he was so because he was healthy he actually looked a little bit like an MVP caliber player right? yeah uh, but the problem is no one really cares about it because the White Sox are terrible Um and so this this is easily his best season that he's ever had I think Um and so w- with that knowledge it's it kind of sucks that it's ending an in injury uh, that's just the most classic Luis Robert way to finish out a uh, a season but at the end of the day, it's, it's very encouraging that he managed to play this, this many games. And, of course, you can't really say that, okay, because he was healthy this year, he's going to be healthy in the future. But it is kind of promising to show that, like, hey, at least he was able to survive an entire season. Can he do it again next year? I think you're going to draft him like he could do it. There might be a little bit risk baked in where maybe you, you let a round go before you pick him up. Um, but at the end of the day he's so good when he's healthy that it feels like it's a it's a missed opportunity if you don't um, pick him up if, if he's available at your spot I
2: completely agree with that I mean 40 20 is just super impressive and if the White Sox improve a little bit obviously they're not looking to get better in 2024 at least right. I don't see the moves they can make to get better we'll see if they sign any free agents but Yeah, Luis Robert, just an absolute stud, by far his best season to date. And if he keeps this up, once again, he will win an MVP at some point. I mean, it's inevitable. So it's pretty crazy to think that the AL MVP race is between two injured guys that both have terrible teams. (laughs) So Otani and Robert, I mean, obviously Otani's the MVP, but Robert had a great season is definitely in the discussion. Mm Yeah, yeah. Max Scherzer of the Rangers threw a light bullpen session on Wednesday. He's trying to return from a low-grade strain of the Terrace Major muscle in his right shoulder. The injury is expected to take 8 to 12 weeks to recover, so Scherzer is really pushing himself to try to return in time for the playoffs. I don't know if that's the smartest thing, but obviously he feels like he owes it to the Rangers after trading for him to be out there and compete for a World Series title. Brandon Nimmo of the Mets has an AC joint injury in his right shoulder and will undergo an MRI on Friday. His season is most likely over despite the severity of the injury because the Mets are just out of it and there's no need to push him. Jeff McNeil of the Mets was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, September 28th with a left elbow sprain. It was later announced that McNeil has been diagnosed with a partial UCL tear. He's expected to avoid surgery and will try PRP treatment with the goal of being 100% recovered by the beginning of spring training. We'll see how that goes. Obviously, I don't like anything with the whole UCL tear deal for McNeil, but hopefully it'll be okay with this PRP treatment. Yandy Diaz of the Rays missed two straight games due to right hamstring tightness. However, he returned to the lineup on Friday. Brandon Lau of the Rays was placed on the 10-day IL on Saturday, September 23rd with a fractured right patella. After fouling a ball off of his knee, Lau is expected to miss four to six weeks, which means even if the Rays make the World Series, he probably won't be back for that. Luke Rayleigh of the Rays was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday, September 22nd, with a cervical strain. Royce Lewis of the Twins was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday, September 22nd, with a left hamstring strain. He played in a simulated game on Wednesday and could be activated from the IL when first eligible this Sunday. Carlos Correa of the Twins will not rejoin the Twins before the end of the regular season. He's been out with plantar fasciitis and will hopefully be able to return for the playoffs. Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins felt renewed forearm tightness following his rehab start on Thursday. Last podcast, I said that he might be able to make one more start in the regular season, but he has been shut down with what is now being called a right UCL sprain. Tough break for Sandy, but obviously those innings caught up to him and you just hate to see it. He was a unicorn by being able to pitch so deep into games and going so often, but now he's at a little bit of a standstill yuri perez of the marlins was placed on the 15 day il on saturday september 23rd with left si joint inflammation this will effectively end perez's impressive rookie season and if the marlins are able to secure a playoff berth perez will be eligible to return prior to the start of the nlds so marlins fans hey you might be able to see perez in the postseason if you make it there luis Arias of the marlins has missed four straight games due to a left ankle sprain Chaz McCormick of the Astros returned to the lineup on Friday after missing one game due to a sore back. Charlie Morton of the Braves was placed on the 15-day IL on Sunday, September 24th, with right index finger inflammation. Morton is now unlikely to be available through at least the NLDS. J.D. Davis of the Giants was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, retroactive to September 27th, with a left shoulder strain. And last but not least, speaking of the Giants, Gabe Kapler, was dismissed as the manager of the Giants. So, very interesting that his tenure has come to an end as the manager of the San Francisco Giants. John, any last
1: comments on this list of news? Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how all these affect those uh, playoff teams. I mean, pretty much the last few are all playoff teams, right? So, Braves, you know, Astros, Marlins, Twins, Rays. Um, even if it's not for fantasy reasons, you really hope that these guys are able to get back Uh, with their teams before uh, the end of, uh, well, basically when they need to be there in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, it's tough. I feel like the Rays have lost their entire team this season. I feel like the Twins have had like the same injured guys every single month. I feel like the Marlins have lost a lot of people. The Braves pretty much have a decimated rotation. I mean, Max Fried is out, Morton's out. Who's pitching for that insane team? Like,
1: so many X factors in this postseason, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the Rays themselves, it's kind of impressive that they've managed to stay afloat this long, considering that they essentially had to replace half their pitching rotation. Yeah, I mean, think about it,
2: Rasmussen, Springs, McClanahan, there's more that I'm forgetting as well. There's so many people that got injured on this team, it's actually really impressive, like you said, that they are actually in the hunt, and could have won the division, I mean... Pretty remarkable. So shout out to the Rays because even though you have your backs against the wall, you still find a way to get it done. It's pretty impressive. But before we get into the weekly performance recap, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back after this.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com to sign up for your trial today.
2: All right, we are back, and it's time for the weekly performance recap, the last of the season. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap articles and SP roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But, John, who did well over this weekend?
1: Yeah, we'll start out with uh, one guy who both you and I really liked beginning of the season, Manny Machado. Uh, four foot four with two homers, two runs, and three RBIs on Friday. Um, yeah, basically, I. I I hesitate to call Machado a disappointment this season, but pretty much like his own baseball team, this has been one of his worst seasons. Uh, he is dealing with an elbow injury. He has been basically DHing full-time for the Padres for essentially the last month. Um, but, you know, he still, he still has some power. He's, he's He hit two homers in this one, uh, one off uh, Matthew Libertor, which got him to 30 this season. Um, but yeah, the slash line's not pretty. 258, 320, 465. Uh, basically some of his worst numbers of his career. Um, but the 30 homers is still kind of evidence that like, hey, the power's still there. Um, we we obviously aren't sure how this elbow uh, surgery is going to affect him early in the season next year. That being said, I, he's clearly not going to be the guy who's going to be taken at the end of the first round or beginning of the second round like he was this year. Uh, but he still could be um, some really nice value in drafts next year if he falls, let's just say, to the end of the second round. Uh, one guy who's going to have some interesting uh, fantasy draft stock next year is Christian Encarnacion-Strand. On Saturday, he went through for five with a homer, two runs, and four RBIs. Uh, the Reds actually lost this game 13-12, to just trading off homers with the Pirates. Um, and I believe they are now officially out of the playoff race. Or actually, no, they're barely in. They're barely in. Um and Carlos Stran among, you know, a bunch of other young Reds players has been pretty solid this season. Um he he obviously, you know, did a lot in this game for RBIs uh to add to that, you know, 12 RBIs total from the team. He got his 10th homer of the season in that game as well. Over 60 played so far this season. He's got 111 WRC+ plus with 12 homers and 34 RBI. Not bad for the rookie rounding out the weekend john birdie of the miami marlins a two for four with two homers two runs and three rbi Uh, birdie had four home runs entering this season on sunday so having two more is kind of impressive um against the brewers he yeah was just electric two really mammoth home runs actually from john birdie which is not expected um obviously birdie if you drafted him this season it was for his speed not for his power uh, because he has got 41 bags last year, leading the majors. This year, however, uh, he's disappointed severely in that category, 16 stolen bases only. But he does have more runs in RBIs compared to last year. So if you picked him up in a deep league, um, I had him in TGFBI for a couple weeks here and there. Um, it hasn't been a complete loss. He actually also has a career high average of 295, which is actually like a pretty decent number for Birdie. It's just the problem is that it just isn't translating to much on a Marlins team that, frankly, this entire season has struggled with offense until uh, Jake Berger joined the team over the trade deadline. So, yeah, uh, John Birdie, not really one of those guys who has really capitalized on his season last year, but he's had some pretty decent stats this year uh, and has looked okay in deep league appearances.
2: It's so hard to roster someone like John Birdie because we know the upside, which is 41 stolen bases that he had last season. But now that stolen bases are a little bit more common, he just doesn't provide really anything else. And if he was batting leadoff regularly for the Marlins, then having Luisa rise behind him, and then Josh Bell, Jake Berger, Jazz Chisholm, Jorge Soler, if he was leading off regularly and stealing 30 to 50 bases and scoring 100 runs, batting 290 like he is this season, he could be viable. But he doesn't play every day. The stolen bases seem to have taken a dip, and maybe that's just because of playing time. The power's not there at all. I don't know. It's very interesting with John Birdie. If he had a solidified spot in the one or two hole for that team, I would like him a lot, but now that stolen bases are a little bit more common, it's hard to get behind John Birdie, but good season, good salvaging of the season, I should say, for John Birdie here. Christian Arcanasio and Strand is going to be awesome next season. I'm very excited to draft him. I wonder where he'll go because... The upside is there but first base is one of those positions where you really get in at the top and then if you don't get one of those top options all of the middling guys like the cj crones and the christian walkers which now should be in the upper echelon tier at least i think so but those kind of guys you know the joey Vados and anthony rizzo's and all that tier kind of just clump together and you just take whichever one you want josh bell and Cronasio and strand so I see Encarnacion Strand going at the top of that list, mainly because of the upside, right? Like, his Mm -hmm. home games are at Great American Small Park, and the lineup at the Reds is getting better. So, I like CES a lot. I think he's going to be very good for next season. And then, yeah, Manny Machado has had such a weird season because he's struggled for the most part, but he's still hit 30 homers, still batting 260. He's played through injury this season. He landed on the IL for the first time in like nine years. Just very weird season for the Padres in total. And yeah, even though it was a disappointing season for Machado, I think his value next season will be worth taking him again, especially if he addresses that injury that he has right now and can get through that and be healthy for next season. I think the Padres are going to be better. I think Machado is going to be better. And if he's going in the second, third, fourth round, somewhere around there, I'm not sure yet. I kind of like his value
1: yeah especially fourth round like holy crap like imagine yeah that's a i mean that's a top three third baseman right there right you're getting uh well after like you know that's where Gunnar henderson was going in drops a little bit he was more like fifth sixth round really yeah um but that like Gunnar henderson had a lot of hype behind him but he was still only maybe like a you know in that six to eight range for third baseman um, when he was getting drafted. So, yeah, imagine getting a guy uh, at that stage who could be a top three guy. That's uh, that's pretty, correct. That's pretty yeah. great.
2: Yeah, really, really good value
1: potentially for Machado. Right. Well, moving on to pitchers, um, a couple guys who have uh, surprised or struggled this season. Uh, Shane Bieber starting on Friday for Cleveland. Five innings, four earned runs, six hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. Mainly notable because he had been basically on the 60 DIL for – Uh, for over two months and um, this is also his final season in cleveland contract wise they could resign him um but knowing cleveland they'll probably just have him walk um and let's be honest it kind of makes sense because he has not looked really good the pitches in this one didn't look great uh just not well located fastball was sitting at 90 miles an hour which has been a big thing with bieber as he's just pretty pretty much steadily lost velocity every single season I mean, I still remember two years ago when Bieber was supposed to be a top three pitcher. I had picked him up, actually, in one of my drafts, kind of expecting him to be in the same echelon as, you know, Garrett Cole uh, or Corbin Burns. And yeah, that that clearly did not happen. Of course, that season was mostly due to injury, not necessarily because of quality. But um, last, it just hasn't really looked good. Um, he did have a little bit of a renaissance season last year, finishing with 2.88 ERA and a 1.04 whip in 200 innings. Um, so... It, if we just maybe pretend that this season doesn't count, then we just look at a guy who's only 28 has an elite CSW. Uh, But it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how where first where Beaver signs next year. And second um, kind of where uh, his pitching ability is going to be uh, in the next season on Saturday, John means uh, for Baltimore started 7.1 innings with only one run one hit one walk and four strikeouts. He's pretty much on the opposite end of Beaver in the coming back from injury spectrum. Uh, obviously, he's been out for a long time because of Tommy John, and he's had three starts this season. He's steadily improved in pretty much every single one. So, you know, the line looks great, but ultimately wasn't a good start. It's hard to say. He was facing the Guardians, who are an, who are an incredibly aggressive swinging team. They don't necessarily swing for power, but they do try to get a lot of hits and then dunk their way um, around the field. And so Means, even though his locations weren't that great, uh, he was definitely able to get the, the Guardians to hit into a lot of outs. Uh, obviously, going that far with only four strikeouts is, is maybe a little bit of evidence of that. Um, but it's a good sign for next year, at least, that he hasn't completely fallen apart, that, the, that he's you know fully back from injury. Now he gets another full offseason to of rehab and come back to be you know probably the, 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 uh, the ace of, of the Baltimore staff. Um, So we'll see how that all works for him. But it's at least good to see that he uh, looks at least healthy back from Tommy John. And then finally on Sunday, Christopher Sanchez of the Philadelphia Phillies. Seven innings with two and runs, three hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts. Sanchez might be one of the revelations of this season or really just kind of absolute deep sleeper picks. He currently holds a 3.48 ERA and a 1.06 whip over 17 starts. Just incredible numbers there uh, from a guy who basically was a nothing burger before this season. Um, Of course, the question is if Sanchez will continue this form of excellence next year. This year, he's been relying a lot on a sinker-changeup combo to dominate opponents. And while he does have a slider, it actually doesn't really get whiffs. It's more of a called strike pitch for him. And so it's hard to say if that's really going to be a, a useful pitch in the next season if he can't get more whiffs with it. If that does become more effective, then he finally has... Two secondaries that he can play with. He can attack both sides um, of the plate then a little bit easier, maybe go a little bit deeper into games. But hey, he did get 10 strikeouts at this one, so clearly something is working for him. I like Christopher Sanchez a lot. Maybe this is just a lazy
2: analysis here, but he obviously, well, at least this season, reminds me of his teammate Ranger Suarez when he kind of did this second half surge. Yeah. And I like Christopher Sanchez a lot, though. If he can have a solidified whiff pitch, And like you said, if those pitches can really elevate and he has two of them that can really get people out, I think he's going to be very good. And if they let him pitch like they have in this start, seven innings pitch, 10 strikeouts, he did the same thing against the Braves as well. So I think if they just give him a longer leash, they let him be a starter and they just let him do his thing while he still develops. I think Christopher Sanchez is a good sleeper for next season. But once again, with a grain of salt. We said the same thing about Ranger Suarez and then look what happened so Suarez is still usable but more in a streaming context and not in a forever roster context but I think Christopher Sanchez can be someone that you roster so we'll see about that it's great to see John Means back in action he had a dominant start in this one his best start since he came back and it's just nice to see him kind of getting in the swing of things I mean they pretty much changed that home ballpark for him And now it's nice to see him pitching in his home ballpark because that left field fence being so far back is going to benefit him greatly. And it'll be nice to see a full season out of means to see what he can really do. And then for Mm -hmm. Bieber, it's so tough because his stuff still looks okay, but it's just so diminished. And I really don't know how to rank him for next season. Like, do I put him in the same elk as a Justin Verlander? Do I believe that he'll turn things around I don't know where he's going team wise so Bieber's a big question mark for me do you have him as a top 50 pitcher for next season John
1: I mean if I'm being honest no I don't think so either (laughs) I that honestly like part of the part of the big thing behind Bieber is that fastball velocity right yeah Um, if, if just a couple years ago I think he was hitting uh, I mean, he's never been like a, a flamethrower, right? Let, right? Let's get that out of the way, right? He's not a guy who was throwing 97, 98. No. That's that's not who Bieber was. But when he was successful, that pitch was 94, you know, high 93s, things like that. And in the last two seasons, it's at 91, right? And yeah. so he, when you lose that velocity, as much as, you know, some guys, <laughs> Jack Flaherty, uh, don't want to harp <laughs> too much on lower velocity, it does If you don't have anything else behind that pitch, it just makes it a lot easier for for guys to take it for a little bit of a ride. And that's really been the case um, for Bieber. I mean, the swinging strike rate on that pitch is in the first percentile. So it's basically one of the worst pitches in terms of swinging strike rate. It is one of the best pitches in terms of called strike rate. So that's great. Um, so it ends up being really good. I mean, it's a fastball, right? You don't need to get that many whips with it, but just to just to see that, like, hey, if you can't if you can't generate whips with your pitches, um, then you're relying more on the mercy of your location. And if your location's off on a couple games, then you're just gonna get rocked.
2: Yeah, and if you just look at even a recent example too of like Christian Javier, who struggled this season, he was mm-hmm. throwing ninety four, ninety five on his fastball, and this season it's been like ninety one, ninety two. So just losing a little bit of velocity like that, especially for a two-pitch pitcher like Javier, but for pitchers like Bieber and Verlander, when you lose that just extra tick of velocity, I mean, even Verlander this season, when he had lower velocity, he was getting crushed. Mm -hmm. So it's tough when you have to rely on that fastball, not being something that blows by people where it's 96, but being 93 instead of 91, it makes a huge difference. So Bieber is going to be tough to rank next season. I don't know if he's top 50. I don't know if he's top 100. I think he would be somewhere in that 70 to 80 range for me because I probably believe in him more than those names down there. But top 50, I don't think so. And it really depends on where he goes as well. So we'll see about that. Moving on to Monday, September 25th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Andrew Abramo, we have two catchers to talk about. Monday was a short slate to begin with, so not many big performances, but these two catchers performed really well. We start with Mitch Garver of the Rangers, who went 3-for-3 with a homer, a run, an RBI, and a walk. Garver has had a phenomenal and mostly healthy season with the Rangers. This will be his best season since 2019 with the Twins, as he currently has an 891 OPS in 85 games played. For his career, a little fun fact here, he has more home runs per plate appearances than Will Smith of the Dodgers. The only problem is that Garver has played only 100 games only once in his career, and it was like 102, so he's barely gotten to 100 games in his career. It's sad to see, but when Garver's healthy, he's one of the best hitting catcher options. And going into next season, I'm probably going to rank him as a top 10 catcher, because if he's in the middle of that lineup, and if he's healthy... He can put up a 30 homer season with a lot of rbi so mitch Garver's definitely someone to look out for and then austin wells of the yankees who went two for four with a homer two runs and two rbi wells seems to be solidifying himself as the starting catcher for the yankees he homered in two straight games one on monday and one on tuesday since being called up on september 1st he's had six extra base hits with four doubles two home runs and seven rbi Wells was the top catching prospect in the Yankee system. I believe he was seventh or eighth overall in their system on MLB Pipeline, and he might see a lot of playing time next season. I'm not sure where I would rank him because I'm not really sure of what his upside is. He's swung the bat pretty well so far, but I really don't know what that ceiling looks like. I'll probably put him in the top 20 for those two catcher leagues. I would definitely want a share of him, but it's hard to tell with him because he's so young. But. He was pretty good in the minors. So maybe we'll see the next big catcher emerge in New York besides Francisco Alvarez.
1: Yeah. Garber has been on a freaking roll. Yeah. Um, it's yep. actually really impressive just how much he's uh, done this season. And frankly, it's because he's healthy, which is kind of a hilarious thing. Like he's always had, he's always had the bad skills, but he just couldn't stay, uh, you know, healthy. That was his biggest issue. So, yep. uh, you know, the Rangers have an embarrassment of riches at the catcher position with Jonah Haim as well. So they kind of have a, a situation where they have two really good hitting catchers and they can alternate them and have them play DH as well. So yep. um, it, it really helps the health. If you don't have to be catching, you know, like let's just say a hundred games, if you're only catching, you know, 80 to 90, or maybe in a garbage situation, he's maybe only catching, uh, 70 games. Cause he's not as good defensively as Haim. Um, that's going to really allow him to just play more games in general. So um, yeah, just, just a great season from Garber. And then yeah, Wells, um, the, the biggest issue with, with uh, Yankees catchers for the longest time was that they didn't hit or they struck out a lot like Gary Sanchez. Right. So if Wells can kind of demonstrate that he's got that hitting tool, um, then the Yankees don't care really how good his defense is. he's going to, uh, he's going to be on the opening day roster.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think the key for the Rangers is to DH Mitch Garver as much as possible. Let Heim take the bulk behind the plate, give Garver some days, but to keep him healthy, just keep him as the DH, and hopefully he will be okay. Moving on to pitchers from Monday, from the SP Roundup article, Verland Before Time, which is such a good title, by Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy himself, Justin Verlander of the Astros, who went eight innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Mariners. A little blast from the past when the Astros needed it most, Verlander had his best start since being traded to the team. There's a lot of question marks with Verlander, of course, going into next season, being that he's 40 years old. But he should be a good middle-round option to grab in your drafts next season. John, would you rather, I know it's very early and we haven't done a lot of analysis, but would you rather Verlander
1: or Scooble next season? Oh, man, that's tough. Yeah. Um, yep. Gosh. It's so hard to say because the thing is, I think Verlander's ceiling is clearly higher than Scooble. But Ooh. I think Scooble, I think Scooble is much more reliable over a season. So I think, I think I'd think go with Scooble in this case. I actually think
2: Scooble has higher upside than Verlander at this point in his career, obviously. Like, we sure. saw last year Verlander won the Cy Young. So yeah. his upside mm-hmm. is very high, of course. But as he gets older, the injury risk is a little bit more apparent. We saw him get injured this season. He came back. He looked really old and rusty. Then he settled down, and he's been good as of late. Mm -hmm. Can I trust that the whole season? I don't know. Scooble, though, same thing. Can I trust it the whole season? I don't know. But the upside that we've seen from Scooble since he's come back has been so good that I think I'd rather him by just a smidge. Like, I think I'd draft Scooble over Verlander, which kind of leads me into, would you rather Verlander or Cole Reagans?
1: Well, this one's easy. Cole Reagans. Oh, okay. (laughs) Right off the rip. I mean, here's the thing, right? I I love drinking the Kool-Aid on Cole Ragans, right? Um, but the reality is he's actually done the well this season even when challenged, right? He yep. had that what, three-game stretch where it was like Toronto, Texas, Houston, and he survived it. Like he didn't have like a huge blow-up. Uh, it wasn't, you know, his best outings for sure. Right. But the guy has legitimate stuff and for once somehow Kansas City has produced a decent pitcher. Uh, and by produce, I actually really mean produce because he was doing nothing with Texas. Yep, and he got traded, and somehow Kansas City figured out something with his pitches. Uh, he became really, really something in, in Kansas City, which is surprising because their pitching development is garbage. Um, and yeah, I think Reagan's for sure. I will, I will clarify one thing: if if you're in a wins league. Verlander maybe has a little bit of an edge there because uh, Kansas City is just not going to get any wins this next season. Um, but other than that, I mean, you—I don't think you should choose a pitcher just because he's going to have more wins than another guy. And I just think Reagan's upside is just so much higher than Verlander right now.
2: Yeah, I agree with that too. I would also take Reagan's over Verlander. And sure, like you said, Reagan's was put to the test of those tough matchups and he did really well in all of them. He had a little bit of a hiccup in one. And even in his last start, he went like six clean innings. And then when he got out for the seventh, he ran into trouble and they should have just pulled him because he literally gave up one run, I think in six innings and then basically gave up a single, a walk, a walk, and then came out of the game and all three of those runs came in. So he had four earned runs on his line. But in terms of what he did when he was pitching, he dominated them. He pitched so well. So I've loved what I've seen from Cole Reagans. And obviously, we're all really high on him. And we don't know what a full season would look like from him and if he could stay healthy and whatnot. But it's been really good. And like you said, Kansas City really did develop him because when he got there, he said, I really want to work on my slider. And they said, yep, that's what we were going to tell you. And they worked Mm -hmm. on it. And he's been so good. And then for Verlander in general to finish up that, I was gonna say Verlander or Bieber, but we kind of already know that since we both don't even consider Bieber as a top 50 pitcher. So obviously right. it's Verlander there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still think Verlander has the potential to be a top 30 pitcher next year. That's like yes, absolutely not out of the question. Like yep. he's such a wily vet. Like even even with a lower velocity on his fastball, he's gonna have he's gonna figure something out with his secondaries. Plus, if you think about just context, like he's back in Houston. Um, he doesn't have to worry about like moving his family anywhere. Yep. Um, they're, they're back where they feel comfortable, and I, I think that that does that. a big thing for for any professional sports uh, athlete to just have some consistency uh, in your life. So I think that's just gonna. He still has the potential to be a really solid um, add in your drafts. It's just I think yeah, you and I are probably a little bit higher on Scubal and Reagan's and being more consistent top thirty guys than Verlander next year next season.
2: Yep, I completely agree on that. And then closing out for Monday, we had a little bit of a pitcher's duel between Logan Webb of the Giants and Blake Snell of the Padres. Logan Webb went nine innings pitched, one earned run, nine hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts against the Padres. And then Blake Snell of the Padres went six innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Giants. And Blake Snell just capped off his Cy Young season with a dominant performance here. 21 whiffs, 39% CSW for a golden goal. He's just been unbelievable and easily has that Cy Young locked up. And then Logan Webb, he only threw 21% fastballs and 22% sliders in this one, while he threw 63 change-ups to the Padres lineup. He's had an incredible season, actually, and seems to be in a bit of a Spider-Man meme with Chris Bassett. Who would you rather between Logan Webb and Chris Bassett? And it's tough because their numbers are eerily similar. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll talk about Chris Bassett a little bit later in in this podcast. I think I probably go with Logan Webb. I think the upside's just a little bit higher there. Um, he, he, I mean, he, remember he started out the season like not very pretty. Um, frankly, last season also wasn't very pretty for Logan Webb, but he's figured something out. he's 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 become a better pitcher he's learning how to get strikeouts better he's still i mean he's probably i think he's five six years younger than bassett as well um and so i think i put logan webb above bassett um but it's close like you said their numbers are very similar i just think logan webb has more strikeout potential in his game that being said bassett did just get 10 strikeouts in his last starts or 12 strikeouts in his last starts. so (laughs) who am i to say
2: Yeah, it's a really tough call. I think i go Logan Webb by a hair, but Chris Bassett was really good this season. Logan Webb has been really good for the past three seasons, and Chris Bassett's been really good for the past three as well. So, I don't know. They are like the same pitcher. So, I think once Logan Webb goes off the board, Chris Bassett should go right after him, or vice versa. So, I like both of them. I think they're really good rotation stabilizers. They're not going to give you flashy Mm -hmm. strikeout numbers, and they're not going to kill you with your peripherals. So, I really like both of these guys as your SP3. Like, if you yeah. can get one of these guys as your SP3, I feel great about my rotation. Because hopefully, those first two guys are someone like Luis Castillo and Cole Reagans that can really carry you strikeout-wise.
1: I, I will say one big thing about Logan Webb, too, this year. 63% ground ball rate. Uh, Two years ago, when he had his breakout season, uh, 63% ground, uh, ground ball rate as well. So, wow. a big part about his game and you know i think last season was like oh can he repeat that and he got to 50 almost 59 percent. so he kind of repeated it but when he gets ground balls man like he's so good and credit that that's also based on the defense behind him a little bit to convert um all those ground ball opportunities into outs um and he's kind of he hasn't been you know as amazing as that 2021 season but that's a big part of his game and it came back this year so if if he can get that back next year if we're seeing, like, a 60% ground ball rate from from Logan Webb, that's that's basically shades of, like, a really, really good season for him.
2: Yeah, I agree, and that's great analysis there with the ground ball rate, because that's something he needs to be successful, right? Like, that's one of mm-hmm. the key elements in his game, that if he can repeat that, and if he can improve that, then he's going to be dominant. So, yeah, him and Chris Bassett, both very good pitchers that are just very stable, but We are going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we'll go over Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from this past week, so stay tuned. We are back, and it's time to get into the rest of the Weekly Performance Recap. John, who performed well on Tuesday?
1: Yeah, uh, we're going to start with the hitting recaps, of course. Thanks to Mark Stuminger for the write-up here. Christian Walker, we already mentioned him earlier in this pod, and frankly, we've been talking a lot about him this season. Uh, He had a great game, three for five with a triple, two home runs, three runs, and six RBI. Uh, Basically, after trailing 4-0, the Diamondbacks were just like, no, we still want to compete in this game and put up 15 unanswered runs on the (laughs) White Sox. Walker collected 11 total bases, drove in six runs. Again, we've been saying it all season. He's one of the game's best first basemen. I don't think he's necessarily like a first and second round talent. But he, if he's not gone by the end of the third, I don't know what what's what's going on in your drafts. Um, this is his second straight season with 30 plus home runs, 90 plus RBI, 80 plus runs, and 120 plus WRC plus. And he has 11 stolen bases. Like this guy is like Freddie Freeman light essentially, and um, and he's not even that light. So it's it's just <laughs> impressive what what he's been doing this season. And yeah, I. I'm not going to necessarily target him in drops next year. He he still might be going a little too early for my comfort, or I might be grabbing someone like Freddie Freeman in in the first or second round. But my goodness, Christian Walker is a monster in fantasy, and I don't think it's going to be slowing down anytime soon. Then we're going to talk about Ellie De La Cruz, another young Cincinnati Red. 3 for 5 with two homers, three runs, and four RBI in his game. This was actually his first multi-homer game of his young career, which is kind of actually shocking. Uh, The first one... He was facing the Guardians. His first one is off Giolito, 108 miles an hour. And then his second one was 119 miles an hour. He was just like, yeah, I, I could I could do better. Um, so, yeah, he just absolutely destroying the ball. I'm really curious to see where he goes in drafts next year, right? With the initial hype around him, um, he still ended up with not a great line. In 95 games, 235, 301, 401 slash line. That's just not really, that's not really good. That 301 OBP, of course, is... Not helped by the fact that he strikes out 34% of the time. Just not a great number. Um, what is enticing, though, of course, is that those 13 home runs and 33 stolen bases in 95 games, right? That's kind of like a 2040 season if you extrapolate it out to a full season. That's really good for, for a guy who's still super young. I just don't know where I would put him in drafts next year. Where, where do you think you have him?
2: So... I'm going to reference a mock draft, a way too early mock draft for 2024 that was done with a lot of big industry people like Scott Pianowski of Yahoo, Michael Gauvier, Greg Jewett, Frank Stamfel, just a lot of great people in the industry. And Ellie De La Cruz went 25th overall. Hmm. He went in the second round of, I believe, a 15-team league. So third round of a 10-teamer? Somewhere around there, I can see it just on Mm -hmm. upside alone because we saw Corbin Carroll going in the third or fourth rounds of 15 team leagues. I really think that third round is probably the last chance you can grab Ellie because O'Neal Cruz was going in like the fifth round this season. And he's got similar potential to him, but Ellie's stolen bases I think are way more than O'Neal Cruz. Yeah. So I think people are going to take the gamble on Ellie in the third round, at the latest. Like I think that's when he's going to go because if you're going to tell me a baseline of 15 homers, 30 stolen bases, and he has third base and shortstop eligibility, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of like judging, you know, with that that third base shortstop range. Is this a guy that you're taking? I mean, Nolan Arenado was going in the third round last uh, this year, right? That's kind yep. of where he was scheduled to to go. Uh, we already mentioned Gunnar Henderson was going in the sixth round last year, and he didn't play – he played, like, what, 30 games, I think, um, yeah. in the season before. So I think it, it maybe it makes sense for him to go third round. I just think for a guy who – again, he has all the talent, so I, I don't want to harp on that too much in, in the fact that he has really poor stats. Um, uh, yeah, a 20 guy for sure still probably deserves to go top five rounds. I just I don't know if I have him in the third I probably have him more in the in the fourth or the fifth and I mean that's just that's just you know nitpicking at this point but it really does worry me about that strikeout rate you know we thought it was going to go down when he moved from the the minors to the majors I don't know why we thought that but you know that was kind of the, the assumption right like oh he's going to get better with the game and he's going to be a bit more patient at the plate um he is kind of patient his walk rate's like average you know it's not terrible but he just strikes out so much like that that average is abysmal and uh it's hard to like spend that much draft capital on a guy who frankly didn't get that many counting stats other than stolen bases so um yeah i i'm probably with you i probably still take him in the third fourth round but it it will be one of those kind of like oh i don't know if i really want to do this i i have to really believe in this guy to to go away from feeling feeling good about that draft pick
2: Yeah, it's a huge risk. Don't get it twisted. Like, it's a huge risk. There's a lot of holes in his game. And if we see the steps to improve as we expect him to do next season, then obviously the sky's the limit, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. what you're wanting from him. But I think based on your team context, I think if you start your draft with, let's say, you're at the back end of the first round for drafting. And you go Freddie Freeman followed by Juan Soto. I will absolutely take Ellie De La Cruz. In the third round, because obviously those are two guys with good batting average, good source of power. I can take the hit of the strikeouts or lower batting average from Ellie and then just mm-hmm. get all the steals. So sure. yeah. I think it really depends on your team context of if you're going to draft him in the third round. But I think that's where he's going to go. And I think that's where he should go just because of that upside alone. Like I said, if he clicks and the strikeout rate gets better and he's batting, let's say, even just 260. Instead of 235, right? For a whole season, he's probably hitting 20 to 25 homers and stealing Mm -hmm. 40 to 45 bases. Mm -hmm. And you have to take that at third base. I mean, you really can't get much better than that. So I think that's where Ellie goes. And then one final note on Christian Walker. Yeah, I just think that he is so good that he's kind of taken over. You said Freddie Freeman Light. I think he's just taken over Paul Goldschmidt, right? Like, yeah. This is a Paul Goldschmidt line that he just did this season. And I don't see it slowing down because the Diamondbacks are a good team. I think that Christian Walker, he's not young, but he's not old. Mm-hmm. I just think this is Paul Goldschmidt. So in my opinion, the only first baseman that I put ahead of him is Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, Pete Alonso. And I think the list ends there. I think I'd rather Christian Walker than Vlad Jr., but that's a debate for another yeah. day.
1: That's a, I'm not saying that's a bold take because Vlad has been pretty, pretty garbage this season, but yeah, to not expect a bounce back from Vlad, I think is, is kind of huge. Um, but Hey, I mean, I'm with you there though. I, he, he's definitely better than Goldschmidt at this point. And I think, you know, I was just looking it up. It, we in pitched us top 10 for of the 2023 season Walker's third. Okay. Um, Freddie Freeman's first medals in second. So. Yep uh that alonzo six but i think that's more because you know a lot of homers but not not a ton else unfortunately because of that mets team context but um yeah I, i think christian walker is firmly at least in the fourth slot there uh and then if you really want to believe that the vlad comebacks back then maybe he bounces back to fifth but then that means that if you get him in like the third fourth round you're getting basically a top three guy right that late which i think would be incredible
2: Yeah, I agree. I just think Christian Walker is fantastic. I think he was very undervalued going into this year. We talked about him a lot. I've spoken about my big take on him, and it paid off. So I'm happy to see it. Hopefully he gets treated properly next season in drafts.
1: Yeah. Uh, Moving on to then the SP Roundup, the Lugo Boss article from Nick Pollock going to start with Kyle Bradish uh of the Baltimore Orioles going up against the crosstown well I guess technically not crosstown rivals but DMV rivals in the Washington Nationals eight innings with zero earned runs three hits two walks and four strikeouts Bradish actually earned his Aces gonna Ace uh in this start uh just I think well deserved though because he's been so good to end the year uh his his four seamer which was a pitch to Houston a lot he, d- he moved away from it started going a little bit more to his secondaries there um yeah just just really good for the Orioles that he discovered this basically at the right time and it's going to be interesting to see if he repeats this next year is he going to be a top 30 pitcher next year that's that's an interesting question to ask of of british um the slider of course is his main secondary it's been working really well for him the curve is is decent too it's not as consistent though um, but at the end of the day, it got him to a 2.85 ERA and a 1.05 whip on the season. I believe that's 11th and 7th, respectively, in how good those numbers are compared to the rest of the league. So uh, just, yeah, incredible season from, from Kyle. And um, I, I'm i very curious how he does next year because this, this season... Uh, he, he wasn't great. He was available on a lot of waiver wires, and then I, I picked him up in, in on waivers halfway through the season. I think that's what a lot of other people picked him up as well, and I just held on to him all the way through because he was just such a good pitcher. So um, props to him for having a great season. And obviously, uh, there's still a lot of postseason play for for the Orioles as well. And then Miles Michaelis of the St. Louis Cardinals got the win against the Brewers. seven innings with one and run, five hits, two blocks, and five strikeouts. The best part about Michael is his story, actually, is that he is the... I think he's thrown the third most innings uh this season which is insane to think about like miles beckless in my opinion has just fallen just completely below the radar and for good reason his his numbers aren't that great he's just been an absolute workhorse this season um yeah 35 starts well he's going to get to 35 starts most likely um and that would be the third time since 2010 that we've seen a starter go 35 starts uh the other two were david price and uh julius Tashin. so uh yeah, uh, great company, I guess. Maybe David Price, not really Justin, but uh, whatever. Michaelis, ultimately, uh, a lot of ERA problems this season. That, that's not too surprising, but, you know, nice in terms of the innings output. And, you know, I think at, at one point the Cardinals probably just didn't care because they were so bad, so they were fine with trotting on Michaelis all the time.
2: Yeah, Michaelis's numbers are not great for fantasy. It's awesome that he's given us volume, and he's been a good streamer every now and then so yeah it's great to see that but yeah really impressive to see that he could start 35 games this season I mean to join the names of David Price and the legend Yuli Shasin I mean <laughs> what an honor I mean what a legend so yeah Michaelis not too great for fantasy perspectives but for a real-life pitcher I mean you kind of want him in your rotation right just to give you a length in any given mm-hmm. situation so very cool for Michaelis and then Kyle Bradish has had such a good season. I'm going to probably rank him as a top 50 pitcher next season. I don't know how much I believe in this season. It was fantastic, but I can see him easily being a 430 ERA pitcher going into next year. Like if he ends next season with a 430 ERA and a 125 whip, I would not bat an eyelash. I would completely get it. So I think he's great. I think he'll be great. I'm going to rank him accordingly, but I'm also going to bake in a little bit of this is a one-time thing that we saw, and I got to give him a little bit more time to run.
1: Yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, what's my draft strategy for him next season? Okay. Right. Like, is he... He probably goes in the first 10 rounds, right? You'd think? Probably towards the end of
2: that. I would say, mm-hmm. depending on the size of your league, obviously that's a given. So when we say a certain range, take that in consideration between 10-team mm-hmm. leagues and 15-team leagues. But right, I so- could see him going in, like, a 15-team league in the seventh eighth round and i could see in a 10 team league him going in like the 10th to 12th round range Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where i see him and just just kind of a a free ball off the top of my head that's where i think he'll end up but he could end Mm -hmm. up higher if people really truly believe in what he did
1: right i mean currently i think he's what is he he's 23rd on the list okay do i do i believe that he's a top 40 pitcher right is he in that 30 to 40 range next season probably right i think that that seems reasonable so yeah that puts him in a 12 teamer at basically at the end of the 10th round maybe maybe 11th and 12th um of course you could just take advantage of upside and say hey this guy was 11th in era and 7th and whip and the and the underlying numbers don't look that weird right um, maybe this is legit so yeah maybe then maybe you get him in the 9th or the 8th then but um very interesting questions there's a lot of breakouts this year right in terms of pitching yep you know how do you deal with all the rookies next year in drafts what, what's that going to look like you know uh, where does bobby miller go stuff questions like that are going to be really interesting looking forward to exploring that in the offseason but i think for now it's at least just impressive that he's been doing this well i agree and i think kyle bradish and justin Steele
2: are going to go in relatively very similar ranges i think that's the same kind of echelon of pitcher where they're probably top 30 top 40 guys but People just don't know if they're sold on it. So we'll see. And yeah, there's a lot of question marks going next season. We'll probably cover that on the off-season episodes of where do we rank these guys? How do we see the draft going? A lot of stuff to talk about. So we'll save all of that for the off-season. But moving on to Wednesday, September 27th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, we start with Francisco Lindor of the Mets. He went 4-7 for seven with three home runs, three runs, and six RBI Granted, this was a double header, so he didn't hit three home runs in one game, although he has done that before. He hit two in one and one in the other. Lindor has done it, though. He becomes the fourth Mets player to have a 30-30 season, and it's the first 30-30 season in his career. He's actually stolen 31 bases now, after he added a steal on Thursday, and he's only been caught three times this year. So despite only being 71st percentile in sprint speed, Lindor is a smart and effective base stealer. He's been barreling up the ball better than ever with a 10.4% rate, which is the highest in his career, and his hard hit rate has increased closer to his 2021 numbers. In my opinion, Lindor is a top three shortstop for fantasy, maybe even top two. I think Bobby Witt is number one easily for fantasy, and then you really have to have the debate of Corey Seager and Francisco Lindor. I mean, you could probably throw Trey Turner in there as well, but I think it's really between Lindor and Seager. And if you look at it, I mean, Lindor has had a better season than Seager. Obviously, Mm -hmm. what Seager's been doing has been great, and he's been injured. So he was at a disadvantage there. But I think because of those stolen bases, I might even rank Lindor as the second-best shortstop, which is crazy because I love Corey Seager, and I think he can give you a 45-homer, 120-RBI, 330-batting average season. Mm Mm-hmm. But with the injury history, I don't know. I think I got to lean Lindor for shortstop number two behind Bobby Witt. Moving on to Bryce Harper of the Phillies, who went three for four with two doubles, a homer, two runs, an RBI, and a stolen base. Harper seems all the way back now after recovering from the Tommy John surgery that he had to repair the partially torn UCL in his right arm. When he first returned, it seemed like his power was sapped, kind of like a Space Jam basketball situation rightfully so though he was recovering from an elbow surgery and he just wasn't producing the same as we know harper to do well all of those worries have kind of gone away now since august 16th harper has a 205 wrc plus he's hit 14 home runs in the 168 plate appearances from that august date which If you were to extrapolate that, even though it's obviously a small sample size, is nearly a 60 home run season. I don't think that's realistic, but I think next season he's worthy of a second round pick or higher in hopes of a 40 to 50 home run season and 10 to 20 steals. Definitely not out of the question. And the Phillies kind of need a round of applause here because despite losing Harper for a month or two, Reese Hoskins for the whole season, Trey Turner stinking for three months, They've made the playoffs, so really impressive. And Aaron Nola stunk, so I don't know how they did it, but kudos to the Phillies because they found a way to make the postseason despite all of that adversity. Next, we have Josh Lowe of the Rays. He went 3-for-3 with a homer, 3 runs, an RBI, and a walk. The home run that he hit in this game pushed him over the edge for a 20-30 season. Really impressive for someone that was platooned nearly all season long and only has 133 games played. He's just had an incredible breakout season, so nice little 20-30 for Josh Lowe. And then lastly, Aaron Judge of the Yankees. He went two for three with two home runs, three runs, four RBI, and two walks. He's on a 58 home run pace if he had the same number of plate appearances as last year. He's got 37 homers and only 445 plate appearances this season. He actually has a higher hard hit rate and higher barrel rate than his record-setting 2022 season. So you have to think what this season would have been if Dodger Stadium didn't have a cement block in the outfield wall. So just unbelievable. I think Aaron Judge is still a guy who deserves to be drafted in the top five to six picks in the first round. He is just so good. healthy, And this one wasn't even his fault. I mean, there shouldn't be cement in the outfield wall. So Aaron Judge, unbelievable, could have had a better season than last year, which is just crazy to think of. But what a season for all of these players, really.
1: I mean, there shouldn't be bricks in the outfield wall either, but apparently because of tradition, that's got to be the case, right? Gotta love the tradition. (laughs) Um, I was, was, before we talk about the baseball, I was going to mention, did you see the story about Bryce Harper when he uh, got ejected?
2: Oh, my God, yes. Angel Hernandez is just <laughs> horrible. How does this guy still have a job? How has he not got, like, excommunicated from the union? It makes no sense.
1: Yeah, the best part about that story, though, was, like, because he threw his helmet into the uh, the stands, right? And right. And some kid picked it up, and, like, he was just like, oh, this is the best game I've ever been to. Like, I love Bryce Harper. I just thought that was just hilarious how, like, people are like oh you know you got to got to set a good example for the kids but hey when it's Angel Hernandez calling like really bad pitches um yeah it makes sense
2: it's really bad and yeah that interview with that kid after he got the helmet is hilarious that kid is really really funny and then after the game <laughs> as well Bryce Harper met the kid and signed the helmet for him yeah. with a bunch uh-huh. of stuff so really really cool stuff there i think real quick ranking these okay, these four what do you yeah. think is the best souvenir to get at a baseball game, if okay. the random situation happens, so yeah. we have baseball bat, baseball, batting gloves, or helmet. How do you rank those four? Oh, because I have my clear ranking. I thought about this a lot since I saw that helmet get thrown in the crowd.
1: <laughs> Is it? Are you saying like it just ra- randomly like enters the like into the stands? Or yeah, like, like let's
2: say a player throws you something specifically: bat, yeah. batting gloves, helmet, or ball. What
1: would you rather? So, I think I go bat, okay, helmet, okay, um, ball, and then gloves.
2: Okay, so I have the exact same list, but swap gloves and ball because obviously, uh, like, okay. someone could get a foul ball or something, or someone could throw you a ball yeah, and practice. True. Bat and gloves are so unique to the player, so I like that. But easily, if I got a bat or a helmet, I would be ecstatic, dude. That yeah. is such a great souvenir. Like, oh my god.
1: I just don't want someone's gloves because those things are disgusting.
2: That's true. That's true. I would have him sign it and then just keep them in a case and never touch them at all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or wash I mean, them and then have him sign it. The helmet's just as bad, though. It's on his head where he's sweating. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. True. But that's very true. cool. Very cool. But
1: you can you can clean a an helmet and not feel bad about it. Like true, gloves, you're like right. you know that that maybe that's a little harder. But going back to the baseball, I was I was gonna ask you while you were talking about Lindor, like where do you have them? And it's like, oh, you have them too. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, very interesting. I, I will say I think he's had such an under the radar 30 30 season. He right? has. Like, legitimately, I think I mean the Lindor hype died the first year he went to the Mets, right? Because he was so awful that yep. season. Last year he was actually pretty decent. Yep. But then this year he's like, oh yeah, I can actually do a 30 30 season. The only problem is his team is terrible, so no one was really catching on to it. Um he's, you know, just a really solid mainstay. I still think even with the added bonus of the speed, I still like Seeker maybe a little bit more, okay. um, just because he offers more in the other four categories um, that that Lindor maybe can't offer as much. But he, I, I'm kind of with you that he's the top three shortstop. I mean, it's because who did you have number one again? Bobby Witt easily. Bobby Witt, right? Yeah. So it 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 really becomes a question of do you believe that Tatis is. Is going to be breaking the top three. Right, true. And that that's such a hard question to ask because it's like Tatis is uh, you know, kind of consensus. Well, maybe not consensus. Before he was a consensus number one, uh first round draft pick, right? Is he a first round draft pick next year? i he might be late first round, early second. And then the question is, okay, then do you take Lindor in the same range as Tatis? And I think I think we have it ingrained in our heads that Tatis has better upside than Lindor. Yes, right. But the fact is, Lindor just got a 30-30 season. And uh, even though, ta- yeah, I mean, granted, Tatis did miss, you know, like a whole month of games uh, because of his, well, let's just call it stupidity. Um, he still had a 25-29 season, right? Yeah. Like, do you do you like that upside better from a guy who's only 24? Or do you want Lindor who did the, who you know, had the 30-30 season already?
2: Yeah, that's a great debate, and that's something I really want to dig into in the offseason episodes because I think this is such a good debate. Like Bobby Witt, to me, is easily number one. Like, There's no one taking his position because, yeah, Yeah. 30 home runs, 50 steals, you you can't beat that. You can't top that. And he has third base eligibility, too, so I mean, geez, this guy's incredible. But Mm -hmm. for that second spot, I mean, there really is a clump of three guys I'll say where it's Lindor Tatis and Trey Turner because Trey Turner almost had a 30-30 season two and he stunk for three months so yeah those three guys are kind of interchangeable on who you believe and who you like better lineup wise because mm-hmm. all three of those teams will have good lineups next season most likely the Padres yeah. the Phillies and the Mets it's I- just who you would rather for a I guess repeat of their season. Tatis mm-hmm. since the PED suspension, I don't know what his power looks like. If it's twenty five homers, yeah. I think I like him least
1: of those two names. Well, and I kind of forgot Tatis won't have shortstop eligibility next year. Oh, so
2: right. Chris, he'll right, he'll only have outfield. Right, so outfield.
1: I forgot that too. tumbles him down. He, that I I forgot about that too. I realized I forgot that Hassan Kim was basically yeah. The, yeah the you're right there. So. I mean, technically, he's not in this conversation because he does play shortstop, but that that makes said, it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, but if you're looking at guys who have like you know similar stat makeups, right? Then then you could maybe have that conversation of all right, like Tatis and Lindor can both offer similar stats. Outfield isn't really great in terms of um, depth as well. It's a different conversation for sure, but yeah, I think I think knowing that information, Lindor is a top three shortstop for me. What's really funny, too, is as I was
2: saying the names and I was thinking about this as we did the write-up and whatnot, I was thinking about like the top five shortstops, and I didn't include Tatis. And then Mm -hmm. when you said that, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot Tatis. And then rightfully so, he just has outfield eligibility. So (laughs) kind of... He had shortstop this year, so that's
1: why we thought about him in that context. Right.
2: Right. So, yeah, Yeah. that makes it a lot easier knowing that Tatis won't have shortstop eligibility because then it gets really complicated. But if you're giving me between Lindor and Trey Turner... I think Trey Turner's going to have a great season next year. I think he's going to be mm-hmm. undervalued in drafts as well. Oh, completely. But I think I go with Lindor. I think I take Lindor. And the Corey Seager versus Lindor debate is perfectly fair. I think that if you took Seager over Lindor, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. I'd be like, yep, I understand. I get it. Mm-hmm. But for yeah. the steals alone, I think you kind of want to hammer someone that's going to get 30 steals in mm-hmm. those early rounds because even though they're more frequent, getting that solidified is a good thing. And Seager gives you literally zero speed. So... I think it's one of those situations where, hey, if I take Freddie Freeman in the first, I'm taking Lindor in the second and not Seager. And if I take Acuna in the first, I'm going to take Seager and not Lindor. You know, like, if your team comp allows it, I think that's what will really dictate where you take Lindor or Seager.
1: Yeah, and maybe just to add a little bit more commentary, Trey Turner is going to be a really good fourth-round pick this upcoming year.
2: Oh, my God. If he falls to the fourth, I'm taking him everywhere.
1: Everywhere. everyone's going to be sleeping on him because he's like, well, he was garbage. And then you look at his stats, 26 homers, 102 runs, 30 stolen bases. Bad, bad average, 266. It's the second lowest of his his career. Right. But you think one more year in Philly, he's going to have it figured out. I I mean, if I'm being honest, he probably goes at the end of the second to me. Like, that's probably where he ends up getting picked. But, like – if he if he just repeats the production from 2 years ago when he was with the Dodgers that's i mean that that's number 1 talent right there so
2: yeah in that mock draft i referenced earlier Trey Turner mm-hmm. went 17th overall Corey Seager went 16th overall okay. and Francisco Lindor went 32nd overall which to oh, me okay. if that's how it's going give me all the Lindor shares
1: you know like yeah that that makes more sense yeah i mean obviously ADP is one of those things that is very much like um it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak, right? Right. People, a lot of people will just look at ADP and like, okay, well, Lindor's going 30, so why would I ever pick him 15? And that's your opportunity to leap in a little bit and and grab him a little bit earlier. So I guess knowing the information, maybe I was a bit aggressive in saying, you know, Turner's going to last to the fourth round. But I do think there's there's some... and you know, obviously, we're we're guys who are steeped in fantasy baseball every single day, right? For your regular leagues, there might be just people who just remembered, yeah, Trader Turner was garbage last year. Why am I picking up in the second round, right? And he falls a little bit further.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. But moving on to pitchers from Wednesday, from the SP Roundup article, shred Sheehan by Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy himself, Emmett Sheehan of the Dodgers, who went six innings pitched, two earned runs, five hits, no walks, and ten strikeouts against the Rockies at Coors Field it was great to see Sheehan dominate the Rockies in Coors while also registering 20 whiffs his slider looked great and the breaker went eight for 25 on whiffs Nick doesn't believe that Sheehan's 95 mile per hour heater is a whiff offering and that he's overperforming a bit in general so maybe we should temper our expectations for 2024 however my expectations weren't all that high for him in the first place and if he has a permanent spot in that Dodgers rotation going into next season he might find his way onto some of my teams off of pure upside alone and belief in the Dodgers. Next, we have Garrett Cole of the Yankees, who went 9 innings pitched, no earned runs, 2 hits, no walks, and 5 strikeouts against the Blue Jays. What an exclamation mark on the season for Cole in this one, solidifying his first ever Cy Young award. Cole has been otherworldly this season with a 2.63 ERA, a 0.98 whip, and 222 strikeouts in 209 innings pitched. As we mentioned last podcast, Cole isn't striking out as many guys as he once was, like the 276 strikeouts in 2018, 326 in 2019, or 257 in 2022. But he's keeping runners off base and keeping runs off the board. He will easily be my SP1 going into next season for sure, edging out Spencer Strider. So, Garrett Cole, unbelievable season. And then just two good performances I wanted to mention. Tyler Glasnow of the Rays went five innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and nine Ks against the Red Sox. And Tariq Skubal of the Tigers, who he formerly mentioned. He went four innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Royals. Scooble only went four innings in this one because the start was cut short due to the game being suspended, so no worries there, but Scooble's been amazing, Glasnow's been amazing, both guys should be top 20 pitchers for next season.
1: Yeah, it still kind of blows my mind that Garrett Cole hasn't won a Cy Young yet.
2: Yep, insane.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to root for my dudes, obviously, Pablo and, and Sonny, but... Garrett Colt deserves it completely this season. He's been so dominant. It's just without a question. Um, all right, moving on to hitters. Uh, thanks to Seth Kloos-Meyer, uh, who wrote the the hitting recap article here. The two guys I'm talking about aren't super fantasy relevant, but I figured it'd be nice to talk about them because they had some notable games on Thursday. Uh, Miguel Cabrera of the Detroit Tigers, two for three with a homer, two runs, two RBIs, and a walk. It feels a little bit appropriate in our final regular season podcast in 2023 to talk about basically one of the most legendary players In the game, in his final week of his baseball uh, playing career, at least. Miggy has not been fantasy-relevant in 12-teamers probably since 2016, which I think is kind of insane to think about. But seriously, go look at the stats. It it has not been pretty for, like, the last seven years. Um, This season, he hasn't been good either. I mean, there's no way that you had him on a fantasy team, even if you're in, like, a deep 15-team al only league right like maybe if you're like one of those crazy like 30 teamers yeah. maybe miggy gets picked up but even then like uh, he was just not fantasy relevant at all that being said though props for being one of the best hitters in the game he got to 500 plus homers and 3,000 hits this season absolutely insane career triple crown winner honestly one of the best to ever do it and um yeah congratulations to him i hope uh his, he feels like his career is is uh is successful and at least better than a you know a ninety dollar bottle of wine, um so, <laughs> uh yeah honestly just hats off to Miggy I mean he he terrorized my twins for many years uh, i kind of glad to, to see him out of the division because he he also managed to hit one of his home runs this season against the Twins like ironically just as a nice <laughs> parting gift so um yeah glad to see Miggy gone but props to hats off to him for just uh yeah capping off such an incredible career and then J P Crawford of the seattle mariners two for five with a double two rbi doesn't sound like a great line but honestly it was a great line for the mariners because he single-handedly saved the the mariners playoff chances uh they're currently one game um out of the third wild card spot Um, and so basically they kind of need to win every single game and they're currently they yesterday they started a four game series with texas so uh it is not going to be easy for them that being said in this one i was following this one like a hawk actually uh i was wasn't watching it but i was just following the score um bottom of the ninth aroldis chapman uh always the reliable closer right wink wink uh loaded the bases the mariners got to two outs without scoring a single run bases loaded again and Crawford came in to play hero, sliced the ball over Evan Carter's head, win the game, and yeah, allowed the Mariners to go from basically feeling like it was uh, they're about to crash out of the playoffs to having a shot to uh, make the playoffs this year. Um, again, they're only one game behind of Houston, uh, but yeah, their next three games are against the um, like still against the Rangers, so it's going to be a tough task for them. Crawford, fantasy wise, he's been okay. Uh, he's really helpful in the racialist department he's got the 15th highest obp so especially if you're in obp leagues um he was pretty solid there thanks to his 15 walk rate he's hit career highs in homers runs in rbi but then that sounds great until you look at those numbers and you realize oh that those are pretty low the, those aren't that great um but that being said you know in, in some deep leagues i'm sure he he services pretty well as a as a middle infielder guy and um he's actually still young i think he's only 28 so he is improving so maybe next season it feels weird to call it a breakout season because he's you know that old but he has been steadily steadily improving year after year and maybe next year's a season where he could maybe get to like 20 homers and uh you know 980 to 90 rbi or runs and actually become a little bit more fantasy relevant than he is right now
2: Yeah, so first of all, congratulations to Miguel Caprera. Unbelievable career. It was a pleasure watching him play baseball. I mean, 500 plus homers, 3,000 plus hits. Just an overall great personality and dude that succeeded in baseball. And really awesome end to his career. So shout out to you, Miggy. It was awesome seeing you play the sport of baseball. And then J.P. Crawford was really solid in the final two months of the season for fantasy. Mm -hmm. So I like him as someone that is a good middle-round option if you need a shortstop or a middle infielder, because if he's batting a lead in front of Julio Rodriguez, he's always going to have value. It's yep. kind of like whoever bats lead off for the angels. When trout and Otani are there will have value. Like when Taylor Ward was leading off for the angels, everyone's like, yup, give me all of him because you yep. just want those guys in good situations. So JP Crawford exploded this season. And I think that he's got more in the tank. He's younger. And I think that the Mariners are a team that, is going to compete every single season from here on out. So mm-hmm. I really like J.P. Crawford as a middle infield option or a very late round shortstop option.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I, I maybe was knocking his counting sets a little too much, right? He does have 92 runs this season, yeah, which huge. is incredible. That That's 90, That's good for 28th overall among all batters. You don't love the fact that he only has 18 homers, but that's still decent for, you know, that kind of shortstop that you're talking about where, you know, end of... End of Mid mid end of drafts, right? Yeah. Um. It's just that the RBI is a little bit are a little bit low. He doesn't offer any speed whatsoever, but the averages are good too. You know, his OBP is good, but it's because his average is good as well. So, um, he he is definitely serviceable. He's not going to be you know in the conversation that we just had about Lindor, Bobby Witt, and Corey Seager, but he's not going to be an absolute nothing burger for your team.
2: Yeah. I mean, for Crawford, if you're going to tell me next season, in a full year, he gets 100 runs scored, bats 280 or higher, has 20 mm-hmm. home runs, 5 to 8 to 10 steals, somewhere around there, and like 50, 60 RBI. That's a great middle infielder. That's a great shortstop. I mean,
1: yeah. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. And Technically, he hasn't hit that yet, but he he's on the trajectory, too. So, yeah. Right, definitely, exactly. Definitely one of those guys who is worth keeping an eye on. Uh, all right. Moving on to pitchers. Uh, thanks to Nick Pollitt for the Gilbert and discerning uh, article SP roundup article. Uh, we're going to start with a guy who we mentioned earlier, Chris Bassett uh, first year in Toronto, just lightened the scoreboard up seven, 2.2 innings, no earned runs, five hits, one walk and 12 strikeouts. Yeah. Bassett is, uh, yeah, really, really been really, really good this season. Um, that was 21 whips and a 41% CSW. So just insane numbers from him. Um, on the newsletter today, which I write on Fridays. Um, he had this disgusting sweeper, um, against Aaron judge in that game. Uh, and just, um, yeah, he was just pounding the zone really well. Just, just getting guys to whiff, um, incredible. So that's obviously not like the bassett that we expect day in and day out, but he has really improved a lot this season. Um, which is weird to say. He he's one of those guys where I think Nick likes to joke. He's, um, matchup agnostic. It doesn't matter who he plays, he plays yep. exactly the same. So he doesn't actually dominate guys like, you know, the the poor teams like the Nationals or the Royals. But then he does dominate teams like Houston, like the Rangers, like the Yankees. So yeah, just incredible. Velocity up as well, which is pretty solid. And uh of course the joke with Bassett, I think this upcoming offseason season is going to be Well, if you remove his first start that had nine or runs, he'd be really really solid. So Just thought I'd get ahead of the competition here. 3.25 ERA with a 1.14 whip if you take out that 9 earned run uh, game. So, yeah, that's really solid numbers. That's, like, top 40 production. And that's really who Chris Bassett is. He's, like, perennially, like, a top 40 pitcher. Uh, He's never going to be, like, a top 20 guy unless, like, a bunch of people are injured ahead of him. But he's not going to, like, sink you and be, like, a top 60, you know, in that 50 to 60 range of a pitcher as well. So... Um, yeah, Bassi. Gotta love what he's doing this season. And then finishing off with a guy that you and I have loved for a long time, Jesus Luzardo of Miami. Uh, really decent season this year too. Seven point one innings, one in run, four hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts up against your Mets. So I'm sure you didn't really love this start too much. <laughs> but um, yeah, 22 whiffs. Uh, incredible day for Luzardo. Just um, uh, really showing the stuff there. Um, you know, he did allow a run in the eighth inning. And that you know brought up the the numbers just a tiny bit but 44 percent sliders with 18 whips so basically out of the 22 he earned 18 of those on his sliders which is insane um just yeah when it's located really well he's super solid it's just that consistency right that's always been the issue with zardo's is consistency and uh when he shows it he is amazing um since may 9th uh which isn't that arbitrary of a day but it might sound arbitrary 3.61 era with a 1.169 whip so Uh, you know the good thing is that that whip is you know down a little bit Um, the big thing of course is that era right not pretty you don't love it Um, it's really a product of the fact that he has not a great walk rate it's like average but for a guy like Luzardo you want it to be elite Um, but if he brings that walk rate down that era will basically go down as well because now he's not letting base runners on Um, they're not like getting in with more hits and things like that and it makes him more of a lead pitcher, and that's kind of those small nitpicky things you got to talk about when you're talking about like a top 30 guy.
2: Yeah, I really like what Lazardo has done this season. Obviously, the numbers are a little inflated, and you'd like to see him come down a bit because he has that upside, but I think it was just a really strong showing from Lazardo that makes me more confident in drafting him next season. So I do like Lazardo a lot. I'm a big fan of him. And then just to end things with Chris Bassett, yeah, pretty insane. So like you said, if you take out that nine-earn run start, he has a 325 ERA and a 1.14 whip. He also has 21 quality starts and 186 strikeouts in 200 innings, right? Logan Webb, just for reference, so remove that nine-earn run start from Bassett. And Logan Webb has a 325 ERA, the exact same ERA, a 107 whip, so a little bit better, 24 quality starts, a little bit better, and then 194 strikeouts in 216 innings pitched. So Bassett has a better strikeout rate a little less quality starts, but they're like the same pitcher. So pretty insane to think that those two guys are the Spider-Man meme.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is It is kind of nuts. And then, yeah, like you said, now we have to think about who do you pick up in drafts? And maybe it's like, you want to take the upside guy? Maybe you take the upside guy. But you want to take a guy who's maybe like two rounds later, even though like you said, hey, if one guy goes, you pick up the next guy immediately, right? That That's kind of how maybe like we might feel about picking up Bassett. Yep. But other people, they might be like, ah, Bassett, he's like a top 50 guy. I can get him later. You know, they're not going to pick him up, and maybe that's where you take advantage of the the market inefficiency and pick up Bassett, you know, a round or two earlier because you know he can produce as good as guys like Logan Webb and things like that.
2: Yeah, I agree. If the discrepancy in their value is where Bassett's going much later than Webb, then obviously I'm going to wait. But I think both of them in my rankings will be top 30 pitchers. I genuinely Mm -hmm. think that I'll have Bassett and Webb both as top 30 because – This season, the one thing from pitching was consistency, and we lacked it everywhere, and no one really had consistency every single start, and Bassett and Webb give you that consistency to a point where I want to make it a point to have at least one of them in my staff next season,
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: but that wraps up the weekly performance recap from this past week. And this wraps up the final episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball for the regular season in 2023. We have no streamers to recommend because, quite frankly, there's no one to use because the fantasy season is over. So that wraps everything up. Remember, we will have our off-season podcast beginning October 13th, and they will be bi-weekly episodes. So. Keep that in mind. Listen to us in the offseason. We would appreciate it. Make sure you leave us a five star review. And before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter or X at This Week PL and send us your comments and questions to our email at This Week pod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at Ka. That's T H E J O H N K E. And you can follow myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal. That's R E G I C I D A L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please, once again, leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week, and that's all for this season. We hope that you enjoyed every episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball, and we will see you all in the offseason. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.